I'm going to start recording because, like, if we're going to talk Mets and Yankees, let's just do it anyway. We are only talking Mets. <laughs> okay. Yeah, yeah. We don't, we don't roll the other way. <laughs> so, he, so here's the funny thing. Like, my family, uh, welcome Howie Abrams and welcome Joe Sanko. Thanks for hanging out with me on Red River Podcast. But um, so my family grew up in Flushing, and I was, the, like, me and my uncle were the only – uh, Yankee fans, but this was like in the eighties when the Yankees had like fucking Wayne Tollison, <laughs> fucking Mike Pagliarulo, and like Andy Hawkins pitched a no hitter and still lost. So, you know. wow, yeah, <laughs> that's a good memory. Ah, uh, well, it, it hurt. It hurt. So I remember it. You know, and I was the angriest. Like I was a hater. So when the the Mets won in '86, I was like the angriest, like eight year old on the planet. I was just like, oh. That's how I felt a lot of years about the Yankees. Yeah, flip that. Yeah, flip that around and 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 think, talk to me and how I about the last twenty something years. So so yeah. before before we even talk about anything, then like what makes you know because there's two teams like so what made like I'll ask Howie first like what made you gravitate towards the Mets instead of the Yankees. Well, there's two things. One is grew up in Queens. Okay. So you're kind of born into it that way. But uh, my parents were those fucking Brooklyn Dodger fans that you read about who were just crushed when the Dodgers left. Oh. And so my father hated the Yankees because they were the arch enemy of the Brooklyn Dodgers. So what's funny is when the Dodgers left, my mother became a Met fan. But my father just like full of hate would watch the Yankees. So he would hate watch them and, you know, just sort of and he didn't really gravitate towards the Mets, but he like would watch them and sort of hope for them to lose, you know. So I, it's funny. I'm going to relate to that because my, my grandfather, you know, who's my, my grandfather's favorite team was anyone who played the Yankees. Right. Yes. Anyone who played the Yankees, that was his favorite team. So I get it. I can relate. Um, for me, um, you know, I guess around the same age, I didn't have parents who went to baseball, but I went to an Irish Catholic school in Woodside, Queens, and everybody loved the Yankees. And this is like late 70s, mid 70s, when they were winning World Series and it was like the summer of Sam and they were like the biggest story in town. And somehow <laughs> I gravitated to the Mets. They traded Tom Seaver. They were awful, awful, oh. awful. Last place every year. And I always tell my friends, especially in like the 2000s, if I didn't choose the Yankees then, what makes you think that I would like, Yeah, you know, they, that sometimes the team chooses you, right? And right. so that's just how it's been. And, uh, you know, it looks like we're, we're having a great season, but no one's talking about it this year because the Yankees are having an even better season. You so know, the, yes, the Yankees are having a historic season. Pretty, yeah. pretty much so. And like, um, I'm going to say one last thing about baseball, and my relationship <laughs> with it is I had to let go of it. Really? Um, it, it bothered me. It bothered me a lot. Like, I was like, I couldn't under, like, there's 162 games, and if the Yankees didn't go 162-0, and 0, like, it would bother me. Um, well, I mean, the Mets results absolutely affect my mood. Yeah. <laughs> that is so fucking unhealthy. I know, that's why I stopped. But, it, but I have to stay there, but there are definitely times where like i'll miss like the first few innings so if they're losing i can't watch but i'll follow it on the espn app or something like that i also i'm super superstitious so if they're winning and i only check the scores on the espn app then i stay with the espn app if they're losing i'll switch to the mlb app 
And like, I honestly think I'm affecting shit. Yeah, no, no, that, that's and that's that's the thing. So to me, it happened in 2000, like like when 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 9-11 happened and then like the Yankees played the Diamondbacks like that series, like to me, I was living a movie in my head and, and I thought that they were supposed to win. It was right. supposed to make sense. And then here comes Randy J- Johnson and Kurt Schilling. And they kind of like to like I was just I still went up to like 2010. But I just realized that I was just getting way too fucking involved. Yeah. And that, now I just like look, you know, like I see them doing good. And I feel like Mr. Miyagi in the background smiling. <laughs> I'm just like, you know, but like it's like. I mean, I, I know the feeling like I, I absolutely know the feeling, but I can't. I can't give up on it. You're, like yeah. they're my team. You You're know? too invested, right? Like way too invested. Yeah. It, there's no, <laughs> there's no turning back with something like this. No, I mean, I had season tickets for a while. Like my, my friend's dad, one of my best friends from growing up, his dad had seasons and during the shitty years, which were many and plentiful, um, got moved up and he wound up having third and fourth row over the visiting dugout at Shea. So we took over those tickets. Like, so four of us took over the tickets. We would divvy them up, you know, for the season, but we would all go to opening day together. We'd all go to at least one Met Yankee game together and we do that. But then in uh, the last two years of Shea, when they fucked up at the very beginning, as very end of the very end. Yeah. And so Shea was built. We took the tour of city field and they almost tripled the price. And we're like, for this fucking team losing in the last week of the season, like we're not renewing for three times the price. We're just not doing it. So we didn't renew. But also by then, like the secondary ticket market, like sort of matured. And I would rather overpay for the, you know, the games that I want to go to than have season tickets. And by the all-star break, when they're sucking, like you're a ticket broker. Yeah. 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 All these tickets and it sucks. And, and it's, it's funny too, like for, for a thing like that is like 162 games, are, it, it means the world until you're done with it. And then the playoffs start and it's like a whole, it's just like a whole new thing. Like, doesn't matter how, like the Yankees could have the best t- uh, record in baseball. And once they get to the playoffs, they can get swept in like fucking three games. Or in four. a week, it's over. Yeah. And, yeah, and, and it's over. And it's, <laughs> I, but I still, but I still love baseball. Like I'm one of those guys. Like, I don't know if it's like some old soul thing or I'm just so, you know, attached, you know, for, you know, and I know I'm attached, so it's not even that, but you know what the actual primary reason is, I'm not sure if I can tell you, but you know, but I also see everything wrong with baseball. Like my daughter is 14. I take her to games, like whatever. And she has fun being there, but she doesn't give a shit about the team. And when I was 14, I was just a hardcore. You're keeping fan. score. You're probably keeping score. I had yes, yeah, score. Cards, yeah. Keeping score. Yo, I'm telling you. So they uh, in Nintendo, like I'm, I'm slightly like I'm a little bit younger. Not much, I think. Um, and I would have like this uh, video game on Nintendo. And what I had was uh, fake players. So mm-hmm. I would make a team and every metal band I listened to would be like, and I'm talking about like, even like the hair, like I'm talking about, like I probably put Baton Rouge on, on, on a team Baton Rouge. <laughs> walks, shout out to walks like a woman. Uh, <laughs> and like, I would just like individually, like I was just making stats. That's what it was. It was just like, I was like that obsessed with it, you know, with the, obviously that music. So. Bullet but, um, team. So to, to further Howie's point, uh, my daughter's 14. Also, she loves baseball, but she loves more like the atmosphere of city field. Right. 
which is a great park. She loves getting like the waffles cone and you know, walking around and that $32. And yeah. And if the Mets are doing well, yeah. people are clapping, she's clapping. Um, but if they lose, she's not crushed like we are. Right. Right. <laughs> you there's, know? No, there's no emotional attachment where, I mean, listen, I just cop to the fact that like they affect my mood, like the yeah. team, the team's wins and losses, even if like right now, I mean, obviously the Braves are catching up on them, whatever, but like, you know, they're 20 games over 500. Yeah, I know <laughs> they're still ahead in the division and I'm worried. Well, yeah. I mean, they, they won't be ahead probably by the end of the week. <laughs> well, we'll see. Like at least, you know, Scherzer's going to pitch one of those yeah. games, we'll see, but like they could have kept Taiwan Walker. He pitched great again. Oh, he was tonight. awesome. Yeah. Sam, but, did, you, did you ever think that the, the pod would turn? No, nah, I turned it. It was w, me. The WFAN of, of your <laughs> yes. podcast. No, I mean, I, I figured. So for us, like, I wanted to talk to Howie forever because I feel like the three of us are kind of like really big fans of minutia. And yeah. like, there's certain people that like post stuff and like are involved with stuff. Joe, you're one where it's just like, yeah, I'm like, I could talk to this guy for a long time about shit that probably most people would just be like oh, look, the, the, the merciless book of metal list, right? Yes, book I did. It's about nothing but minutia. Yeah. I mean, the whole thing is about that. And Sasha Jenkins, who I did the book with, had previously done a book called The Book of Rap Lists. And like it was minutia also. So it's it's like you had to be such a fucking fan of hip hop to care about some of the stuff in that book. And, you know, I was like, there's only one other genre that I can really think of where you can do something like that. And it's metal because fans love to argue. They love the minutia, you know, like if they're, you know, people, I posted something about, you know, uh, like Motley Crue. And then it's like, okay, well the leather version of too fast for love, you know, there's cowbell versus just the hi-hat, like the count off and, you know, in, in one of the songs. And I'm like, man, like, I didn't know people cared about that shit anymore, you know? Yeah. And, but that <laughs> happens. And then you have like, I just posted something the other day about um, the ghetto boys. And then yeah. it's like, okay, yep. the Leonard Skinner sample or the Steve Miller sample. And I'm like, wow, people know that, you know? Yeah. 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 And I love that shit, you know? So that, that book, it's funny. Cause like Joe knows me enough by now that, that like the ongoing joke is, is that I don't read. I, I really like, I, I have a hard time reading books, except for the, the the few times that I've been in jail. Shout out to Private Parts and all those books that I read in there. <laughs> but I will say I I picked up up uh, I went to my cousin's house and she had the 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 book that Sasha wrote, mm -hmm. and I'm like flipping through it, going like this is not like a book book. This is like just something I give a fuck about, and yes. I'm going through it, and I'm like this is amazing, and I love Sasha. I love Sasha's work. I think I think he's a genius. Queens. He's, fucking genius like every, everything that he's a part of um with with showtime i mean just crushing right now um i and, talked to him the other day he's uh i think he's doing a fucking bismarcky uh documentary i i mean it's just amazing like like the stuff like he was involved with of, of mics and men right yes yeah, yeah. just like so, so he he did that i went to the um the premiere of it which was really cool it was at the beacon and so they showed the film and then fucking Wu-Tang walks out, you know, That's and then it was incredible, you know, and uh, he just, you know, he's a fan, you know, and then he, he's just as much a fan of like fucking bad brains as he is of, 
hip hop and, well, and 1865, you know, right? His band. Yeah. So he's got, you know, a punk band. He's been in punk bands before, you know, the people who grew up with in Astoria in that area, um, you know, like, I mean, he's, he's friends with Isaac, you know what I mean? It's like, so it's like, he's doing this kind of shit, but then he's like boys with Isaac. Yeah, <laughs> I, know, I, I know, right? Working for Showtime and then he's just hanging out at the Scarhead show. Was it the Wilding you know Incident? I mean? like, wild, yeah. Was that the band Wilding Incident? Was his, uh, so he did yes. the Wilding Incident? Man, yeah. I thought were really good and like yes. to sort of stay together. And, you know, now he's in the, the 1865, yeah, yeah. who are also really good. And, um, you know, but like, again, I, he does so much work that I just don't know how he could possibly really stay in a band, you know? So I, I like, I, I want to get to like that book real quick, but I also want to talk about just like, so there's like a, a bunch of podcasts and like you talk, you know, about so much stuff that I didn't really want to touch on a lot of those things, but your love of kiss, like that was like cool. the first thing. Right. Oof. So I know. So that was like the first thing. And to me, like I, I, I equate Kiss with Weezer for me because Why is that? Because like the very first two albums, like I'm, I'm Weezer's a, your kiss. I, I'm a Weezer apologist because I feel like the very beginning, like the first five to seven years of the band are just like untouchable. Mm-hmm. And then after that, like I could make an album's worth of stuff, but they right. turned it to something completely different yep. and stuff like that. So like just explain to me like the, the importance of Kiss growing up for you. Well, I mean, you know, I discovered them and sort of uh, they, you know, fell into my lap when I was really young. So it was such a different thing because honestly, my first awareness of this, I was seven, you know, and it, it was a connection with wrestling in a way because I used to read wrestling magazines. And one day I went to like some candy store to get a wrestling magazine while my dad was getting the, the like the Sunday times or some shit. And I saw cream, you know, uh, which is back by the way. Yes, and, it is. <laughs> yes. I know. Right. I have a, a really funny article coming out in the first print issue about why um, circle pits only go counterclockwise. <laughs> and so you'll read that, but anyway, so, you know, I'm looking for wrestling magazines and there's cream with these fucking freaks on the cover, you know? And I'm like, what is that? You know? And so I, I bought cream or my dad bought me a copy of cream and I'm reading up on this, you know, this freakish, you know, cartoon of a band. Um, and I'm like a little kid and I'm just, I'm mesmerized, you know? And then you find out, Oh, they're a band and there's records, you know? And so I get kiss alive you know, and I am, you know, every cliche, everything you've ever heard about people discovering Kiss in the 70s all happened, you know, so it's Kiss Alive, you're looking at the photos, they have these notes in the gatefold that you swear were written to you, you know, like the four band members wrote these like notes, you know, and, you know, and the other thing that I did, though, is I was like a a credit reader you know like i wanted to look at the liner notes what is casablanca records what's rocksteady management like or productions what is what is all this stuff you know and you know so it just was this all-encompassing experience and then it lasted for a long time you know i discovered them like two years after they put records out for the first time and kiss alive was the thing that hit you because like um, like, you know, the history, obviously you were there, so it's a little different. Like I just read about it, but like the first few records kind of went ignored, but I think, uh, a live hit with everyone. Why do you think yeah, that was? Well, because in a way it was like a greatest hits of their first, you know, couple of years, 
And, but it sounded like it had the excitement you expected. Whereas like the first three albums were like, you know, producers trying to get them to sound like studio 70s rock bands. And they just weren't that. They were a show first or this like animal in and of themselves first. And then there were the records. So the live album, you know, while the first three records weren't really taking off, their show was. And there were certain cities in America where they were huge already. And Detroit was was one of them, which is for the most part where Alive was recorded. And they played multiple nights in a fucking arena, you know, in Detroit. And they weren't even doing that in New York. They were playing like the Beacon Theater was kind of the biggest place they would play here. But I was too young to even deal with that. And there wasn't the, the music video thing and there wasn't YouTube where you can go, oh, they played Detroit last night. Let me watch it, you know? Yeah, yeah. Um, it was different. So, but their packaging was great. So especially on a live, like you saw the photo of the show with the fire and like, you know, the poses and like all this stuff. And then you heard it, them playing and you were like, whoa, this is fucking exciting. And that album was meant to be a bridge between the third studio album and what was ultimately Destroyer. But it changed everything because it took off. And, you know, you had this great version of rock and roll all night on there, you know, that got on the radio and all these things happened for them. And as a band, their show and everything kept getting bigger and bigger and bigger. And I was also very attracted to this, like, larger than lifeness of it, you know, so it wasn't just, wow, what a great song, you know, what you were used to, you know, that you may hear on the radio or something like that. Kiss wasn't on the radio. Yeah. Like, you know, the, the, you know, the press hated them. Radio hated them. You know, it wasn't until Beth, really, that they got on the radio. Um, you know, you had a couple of markets. What did uh, you think of Beth, though, when you first heard it? Well, I was shocked, you know, but like I was still I was eight, you know, so. Yeah. OK. Yeah. So you're just like, oh, it's a cool song and it's yeah. kick. like it being Kiss was more important to me than like the song itself, you know? And then I read a great book, like, and you just told me you don't read, but there's <laughs> uh, a great book called Shout It Out Loud, which is the, the entire history of the Destroyer album. And it talks about when, you know, they, they were obviously, they went for it with Destroyer, big producer, orchestras and choirs and stuff on the album, you know? And so, so you know, basically Paul and Gene were writing everything. And, Peter Chris shows up with Beth and they're like, that's a great song. It's just not kiss. And the label hated it. Like, nah, I hate the song. Didn't it's not kiss. It's not going to be on this album. And so Gene and Paul didn't want it on the album. The label didn't want it on the album and they did everything to shelve it and shut it down. So somehow it wound up on the B side of, I think Detroit rock city. Yeah, so it is. Yep. Detroit rock city, the radio stations, um, it was the B-side, but they were told in no uncertain terms. And if people in New York remember Scott Shannon, who was on like Z100. He was a big DJ, like pop DJ in New York. He did radio promotion for Casablanca Records. So it was his job to get Kiss on the radio, which had been like a real struggle for a few years. So he's telling radio stations, just like, do not play this Beth song. Like, don't fuck with it. Leave it alone. It's the B-side, don't, you know, don't. And so Detroit Rock City wasn't working. 
So basically a couple of the stations were like, we're going to play Beth. And so these are pop stations too. And so they play Beth and it goes to number one, like every station that plays it. And so they realized they couldn't hold it back anymore. And so Beth happens and Beth is what catapulted Kiss into the fucking stratosphere. And so that's what took them from a, a night at the garden to three nights at the garden. To there, yeah. That's and amazing. Winning, winning that's a- TV, oh, like the People's Choice Award. And like, it all was because of Beth. And, and it's like, uh, so it's funny. Like I told you, as far as like reading, it's just like, I, my mind just doesn't go to it. But I had the YouTube clips of that book. So I'm listening to it. So like every night or day whenever i would go in the shower i would listen to like 15 20 minutes of it and i remember that story being on there and i'm thinking to myself like i love detroit rock city i think that's like my favorite kiss song i think it's right. just killer chorus but think uh, of what was on the radio at the time it was like the eagles yeah you know and so they're trying to get detroit rock city back to back with like bob seeger and the eagles and like you know, everything else coming out of Cal- Linda Ronstadt, whatever the fuck it was, you know, and it just didn't fit, you know, like that wasn't the sound of rock radio at that time. But Beth kind of worked because you had this crossover of yacht rock kind of stuff and yeah, you know, soft rock. And, and yeah. you know, so it kind of blended in and, and you heard Beth on, you know, at the time it was AM radio. Yeah, that is definitely very yacht rockish. That, that's a good call on that. And so, like, as a fan for you, like, when, like, I know, like, later on, obviously, you got more into like metal and hardcore, but like, when did you kind of like gravitate away towards uh, from Chris, uh, from Kiss? Well, I mean, it's funny because even at 11, I was pissed off about I was made for loving you, right? <laughs> so, yes. so I was just like, I like Kiss because I don't like disco, you know, yeah, yeah. And, you know, and I guess so did Ace Freely because that was like the end for him kind of. But, you know, I was made for loving you, which I actually really like now. Uh, but at the time, you're like, what are they doing? You yeah. Know? And so Dynasty, which I think for a lot of people who were the hardcore fans, that was sort of the moment where like, yeah, they're not really the band I got into anymore, you know. And by that time, there were other bands sorry, on my radar, you know, so even from cream, you know, you heard about Aerosmith, you know, and you heard about those types of bands and, and then, um, you know, even parliament and funkadelic, like, you know, because they were on the same label as kiss. So you'd see ads for like mothership connection, you know, and, and cream would cover it. And you're like, who did, who's this band with the spaceship, you know, and they're all wearing diapers and you know what I mean? Like, who is this crazy band? So now your mind's open. But what's cool or not cool is that growing up like in elementary school and things like that, I hated like radio classic rock. And it wasn't so much the music as it was the people. Like, so I couldn't stand like my friends, older brothers and sisters who liked the doors and shit, you know, like I hated it. And I was like, these people are dead and you can't see them. It's not tangible. Like, I don't like their music. It doesn't speak to me. Like, Kiss ruined all that shit for me because the show and, like, the theatrics of it and the imagery and just, you know, and I wasn't a comic book guy, but they were a fucking living comic book, you know? And then there was a soundtrack to it, you know? And 
they sort of hit their stride at the same time that I got really anti, you know, the classic rock. Where, bands, where did you go to high school? Uh, where'd you go to grammar school in Queens? So I went uh, in Queens village. It was PS 18. So it was across the street from Creedmoor. So, <laughs> okay. So what's funny is a lot of the school were kids from all the towns in Jamaica. So Cambria Heights and Laurelton. Is that Belrose? Is Belrose uh, near there? It's next to Belrose. Yeah. Okay. So, but the Queens part of Belrose, right? Right. Sure. And, and so then uh, like, so a lot of the kids that went to my elementary school were like um, children of Creedmoor employees because they were allowed to send their kids there. So it was closer to where they worked and then they can meet them across the street after and like all that stuff. So my school was like a weird mix of like sort of neighborhood kids and, and these kids. And some of these kids were like, it turns out that they were the younger siblings of like the Hollis crew and people like that. So, you know, I, I, I wouldn't say I discovered hip hop at that time because it was still a little bit too early, but you started to notice the, the fashion. You know, so you had kids wearing Pumas with fat laces and you had kids wearing Adidas superstars or fat laces. Nameplate belt buckles. Right, uh, right. right. Like sheep, sheep skin. Little, yeah, so the sheepskin sheep coat. Skins. Like, <laughs> on these little kids, you know, and, and um, you know, Kangol's and Kazal's and like, like all that stuff was kind of starting to be around me. Like as I went from the end of elementary school into um, uh, middle school, which was in Floral Park. Right. So you had Queens Village, Belrose, Floral Park and Floral Park also like part of it was in Queens. Part of it was Long Island. Yeah. And so um, so you started to see that. And it was very different on the Queens side because this was starting to bubble up, you know, and this was when Russell Simmons is having his parties on Jamaica Avenue in these weird spots and like run DMC starting to do some gigs and and Curtis Blow's playing there. And I wasn't aware of much of that yet. But um, but you saw this culture, you know, around you. And that was really um, interesting. Yeah. I, it's funny. I went to Catholic school in Belrose, mm -hmm. like Which one? our lady of snow. Okay. Cause there's like our lady of Lords was Queens village. Yeah. And like later on, like the Ramones played there. Yes. Yeah. Um, so like a, a lot of kids who you probably know who are in bands, um, Norman Bates in the shower heads, like that whole, you know, yeah whatchamacallit, all those kids, they were like the Ramones fan club, basically. And that was about as punk rock as my high school kind of got. And then you had like Mike Bullshit, you know? So Mike Bullshit, I went to, to school with, you know? And, and so those kids went to the Ramones, but that was like the, you know, that was kind of as, as punk as it got, you know? Then there were some metalheads, obviously, but, um, but metal was huge. Like Maiden was huge and Priest was huge. And, you know, so again, it wasn't like a lot of kids into the underground until 83 hit. And then like, everybody's like, who's this Metallica band, you know? How, how like you guys are both Queens guys and a little bit older, how accessible were the Ramones or did it seem like the Ramones were at that time? Ramones were big at that time. You know, they're already a big band. Like I didn't see them as being any different from Led Zeppelin, you know, yeah. obviously they sounded wow. different, but yeah. you just looked at them as some big band, you know, like I thought they were massive because there were so many kids in my school who were so addicted to the Ramones. <laughs> I really thought they were fucking huge, you know? And then, you know, you realize that, oh, like it's different. Like they don't play arenas, you know? Different, yeah. Um, and so you could go see them, but at that age it was clubs. So you really kind of couldn't go see them, you know? Um, they weren't playing all ages shows. It wasn't like a CDs matinee, it was different. And, you know, that was the whole thing with the CDs matinee. The whole point of the matinee was so that younger 
fans of the bands could go and you weren't going to get home at four in the morning, you know, when you're 14 or something um, on a school night, you know, so you're done. The show's over by seven or whatever. And, you know, you basically, um, you know, could go. And that was the point of the make doing matinees. It was <clears throat> in stark contrast to a seven, which, you know, the first band went on at one in the morning. That's amazing. So like, I mean, th this is the beauty of having somebody like you and Joe on. Uh, I get to hear a lot of these stories and perspectives. Like I, I just, I, man, I love hearing it. And I'm sure people listening to it do. Um, I know like later on, uh, on uh, nuclear assault becomes super pivotal. And yep. like, basically, um, and I think Joe, like around that time too, like, you know, like, um, like a hardcore basically becomes a thing as well too. I so. think so. Everything that how is uh, laid out so far, it's like, it's funny because growing up in Astoria, Queens you think like oh this has got to be something exclusive to my neighborhood but Queens has so many different little neighborhoods in the borough that so it was happening insane. yeah so like you know like sick of it all and the alleyway crew were from another part and like you know we had the guys on like leeway and us then you had like Murphy's Law and, and you know like but before crowd and yeah you know, and, and and um you know uh Major, you know, when those guys, and, yeah, and right. Like that, all that kind of stuff. So there was, you know, and, and you know, even uh, Anthony Communal singing in, you know, token entry. Token you know? entry, yeah. And, so, and so there was such a thing there. And there was a club on Queens, Villa, uh, Queens Boulevard that Coventry. play. So there was a place yeah. called Coventry, which Coventry. had played before them. And I think the Ramones played there too. Yes. Um, mm -hmm. I think Kiss, Kiss played there. Kiss definitely played there. Yeah. And I think it had a name before it was called the Coventry when they played there um, originally. And then it became the Coventry, but like Leeway played the Coventry, you know, and like it was still around, like as that was forming and, and, and this whole, a story, Joe's band. I mean, it, you know, it, there's so much going on. And like, if you look at New York city, you know, Queens probably has, you know, the crown for the most really good bands uh, to come out of New York City. And have, have you read Tony Ritman's book, uh, the NYHC book from a couple sure, years ago? Yeah. Yeah. There's somebody, I forget who made the quote, but it's so true. It's like Queens, there was something definitely in the water in Queens. Well, it was fucking boring. You know, but <laughs> for all the bands to like get their, like yeah, the Lower East Side had their like Agnostic Front and Warzone and, you know, early Cro-Mags, but then Queens, look at the, and you know, when you get, when Howie gets to in effect, he'll talk about like, yeah, that 88 to like 91 period where everything was Queens. Yeah, it really Seriously. was and to the point where, in effect, we were in Queens, like the label was in Queens. Yeah, you know? I got I got to talk. We got to go to that. I have um, a hello from an old friend and I want to bring up somebody who you probably cross paths with at Do the it. Hollis building. But mm -hmm. first, before that, because you were talking about Catholic high school or your high school in Queens, um, even though this is an audio podcast podcast, I want to share something with Howie. I don't think you've ever seen this, but. I've got this. I oh I brought, shit! I brought this to Walter's last van show. I think I've seen this online. You posted this. Uh yeah. I probably put it to the Outburst page. And there's for everybody who can't see this. It's yeah, a composite. Jamie a, yeah, my high school. Now, AJ Novello. And then there's and us from the, George the and Joe like, from yeah. Outburst. Yeah, uh, my uh, St. John's Prep and in, in Astoria, Queens was like the hard NYHC like breeding ground for like all these bands. Is Davey Gunner from Kraut? Um, Anthony Caminale from Token Entry, and then later on Raw Deal, Killing Time. Anthony AJ, looks exactly the same. AJ Novello from Leeway, and then five guys in my band. Outburst, yeah, we all we all were like classmates. We roamed the halls together. You know, we had like even at hardcore. What what passed for hardcore girls at the time? You know, in like the late mid to late eighties. So well, they were like all goth girls. 
Yeah, yeah, really. <laughs> Thick eyeliners and stuff. Goth girls stuff. loved hardcore or hardcore guys. Yeah. Yes, they maybe not have liked the music, but they definitely loved hanging out at Pizza Palace and <laughs> yeah, skateboarding yeah. and everything, you know. So, but then you had like uh, Bayside High School, which was where like Scotty and, and Danny Looker met, yes. right? Mm-hmm. And they went to school with Craig Satari's brother Scott, and so then also Big Charlie went there, and so there's you had these little packs. Like honestly, my school it was like <laughs> me and my culture. Like, oh, but then, you know, like Javier, right, from uh, like he was, you know, in Born Against. He was in Nausea for a while. Yeah, Nausea. So so uh, like the only person from the whole Born Against thing I like. And, (laughs) you know, and, you know, great guy. Like so he was around. And then you had people who got into it just like a little late in that game and all of this stuff. So my friend Dave, who who was like sort of a metal guy and then total shaved head fucking textbook skinhead you know what i mean so yeah. mm-hmm. but, but it didn't all happen at once you know for a while it felt like it was sort of me and mike bullshit and oh sorry and my friend uh john who i did my fanzine with years ago uh, oh i yeah so yeah. when we did occasional regularity that yeah. was a friend um, i love that from, i love that name <laughs> yeah so from 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 middle school junior high school into high school um you know he and i got real deep into working with the bands um he eventually went on to work with anthrax um he wrote that rap song i'm the man he wrote the lyrics oh shit that's crazy you know? that's such a big song for me um man so when I, that so, when, so you know the Havana Gila guitar part yeah yeah that was my idea Ah, so, <laughs> that's so this all came it's from Scott, Scott Ian's engagement party. OK, that's- and we came and, and it was like that's when those guys were starting to get into hip hop. And we were, you know, listening to like the Friday and Saturday night, you know, like Red Alert show like Mr. Magic. Yeah, Mr. Magic. Songs off the radio and whatever. And, you know, we were like fucking around and we were like, wouldn't it be funny if you guys did a rap song? And it was like, it happened. And so, you know, John was very, became very close with Scott and those guys. I was a little closer with Nuclear Assault. Um, And so, but we came up with this whole thing, like around the time of SOD, basically. Um, And, you know, and it happened and it became their biggest song. It's so like for me, like I just when I heard it, like I, I, I'm i trying to remember, I feel like State of Euphoria was the first thing I heard because I was probably like 10 or something. And the song Now It's Dark was always my favorite. Um, but then I went backwards and just I got that the cassette with the I'm the man and probably mm-hmm. the, the Sabbath cover. Yeah. And it, it was just like. It's so funny because if that song comes on right now, I still know all the fucking words. It's ridiculous. I know. And and I, I'm like, I, I find it to be kind of cringy, but, <laughs> at the, but at the same time, I know every word. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah oh, yeah. same, same. And not because I was there, like when they were writing it, it just, once it came out, I heard it like everybody else. And I'm like, oh my God, you know? Yeah. And, you know, so, so that was an interesting time, you know? I'm, I'm going to call back to something from 2009, Howie. Um, I don't know if you remember this because there's so much things going on, but I, I wrote an article for Double Cross, which is Tim McMahon's straight edge website. And I did, a, I did an article on like living in New York during our time. And it was like hip hop, hardcore and metal. And I melded all the things into like this came from that. And this is six degrees of separation. And Chuck D's mentioning Anthrax. So Anthrax does a song. There's the Beastie Boys, you know, and there was a lot of hate on that in the comment section. And you came in. You could find this online and you totally ripped this one guy a new ass saying like, 
here, I have it pulled up. It's like, this is you. How apostrophe nice, right? Yeah. That's got to be you. And it's like, to the, anonymous, to the anonymous poster who was offended by all of this, <laughs> consider yourself yet another know-it-all pseudo keeping it real hardcore dope. <laughs> you state so many non-facts and can't seem to get uh, what you say is nearly only your opinion as if you know what's sick of it all on KRS-One, how they hooked up, as if you know anything about Ineffect Records, and as for the debate between sick of it all and born against, you know nothing but what you heard, not what you experienced. No wonder you post anonymously. It was great. I love that, that you, and you know, I didn't know you back then when you wrote this January 9th, 2010. Yeah. But I was like, think finally somebody like understands like these people who were like trying to like be just one way about it. New York was a breeding ground. get it wrong a lot. That's the other thing. It's like, you know, like, the message boards were like the worst thing that ever happened to hardcore and now just the internet in general, but like, um, but, but the the message boards, like it just gave all these people a forum, you know, and everybody who was a hater and like had, you know, shit to talk, they're all on there saying something. And it's like the same thing happened with the, like, um, uh, anthrax tried to copyright the NYHC. First of all, you don't copyright that it's a trademark. And the other thing being is they actually never tried to do that. Um, and everybody wants to keep saying it, but the, the, the mistake anthrax made is they apologized for it and, yeah. but they never actually tried to do it. They put it on some shirts, which is whatever they have every right to do that. If you thought it was in poor taste, cool, whatever. Um, Cause they're not. And, you know, NYHC, that's just not them, but they loved it. And so they were trying to like a little, do a little something with it. Yeah. They and, were fans of the genre. Fans, like, you yeah. Know, like, and, and Scott was going to matinees. It's, it's not like he wasn't there. He was, and Danny was really there and Danny played there, you know, played matinees like yeah. you know, when it was not cool for his band to play there. And, and they, they were yeah. like the, the closest thing out of like, at least the big four, like to me, like I always felt like that, like they definitely had like a hardcore vibe to them more than any of the other bands. Well, that's what they listened to. They just didn't play it, you know? Yeah. And it's like, Danny wasn't home listening to metal. You know, he was, he was looking for that next extremity. That was his, his bag. And so I got turned on to so many bands from Danny because it was, you know, and I talk about this and, you know, on other podcasts and interviews and things where it's like, it was a game, like who's the fastest band? Like that's kind of like what it was for a long time. And so, you know, when, when he first gets like some tape of Napalm Death, like scum era, and I'm like, what the fuck is this? Yeah. And, like, and I already liked Siege, you know, and Larm and bands like that who were playing super fast. But I was like, what is this? You know, like, and he, he found all this shit because he corresponded with everybody, you know? And so he would discover these bands and I was like, whoa. But going back to the, the, the trademark thing, you know, it was their merch company that was like, oh, I guess we should have the right to this thing, you know, that we're putting on these shirts. And so I don't even know if the band was aware that that had happened at the time that they were like, you know, trying to sort of not own it, but I guess own it really. And, you know, but they, again, took like sort of responsibility for it. They never should have, you know, they should have like publicly shit on their merch company and being like, you don't understand what that is. You can't own that, you know, and it's not ours. It's not yours. It's not anybody's. And so, you know, things like that would happen. And listen, Anthrax went, 
in a very commercial sort of cute direction and you know all that stuff and so they get a lot of shit like when people talk about the big four that's like the band that people are like why are they in the big four and it's like because they deserve to be in the big no four. they yeah. are they just they are, are. <laughs> yo i i think you know as time goes on out of the four of them i think that's the band that i listen to the most funny enough like i i, I don't know like to me like uh, I know that, you know, Howie, when you you do your now play, playing series um, on Facebook, which I love, you mentioned spreading the disease as your favorite yeah. album. of That's my album for me. Like, I guess it was <laughs> probably, uh, you know, but I guess it's always age because for me, I maybe persistence for me because it just. Yeah, it, but then you go backwards or you go forwards. Or you yeah, do both. Or, yeah, yeah, yeah. You but know. I, I love all like all their music. I think they're great. But like, what is it about spreading the disease that you that you just love so much? Well, what's, what's interesting is, you know, they had Neil Turbin, right? And, you know, Anthrax was our band. That was our New York fucking band. Like, so you were into it. And, and, and you know, the first album is really good. And, you know, but then, I, like, I met Danny, I met Scott. You start to find out what an asshole Neil Turbin is and, like, you know, all this shit. And, you know, they eventually toss him, um, unfortunately, after they tossed Danny. And so... You know, so Neil Turbin has to be replaced. And, you know, they played that Roseland show with Metallica and Raven um, in August of 84 um, at Roseland. So it was Metallica, Anthrax and Raven. And that was such a pivotal show in New York. Every each of the three bands got signed that night. And so Anthrax gets signed to Island, like basically as a result of that show, because all these sort of A&R folks, which people didn't really realize that that happened, were at this show. And a lot of people were there to see Raven because uh, John Z, Johnny Z was trying to get Raven signed, but everybody liked Metallica. Can we just give some love to that all for one record on Megaforce? That is a great record. Yeah. And that, like, it, that's like, was sort of the tail end of them being great. Yeah, it was. And the live at the Inferno album is great also, but like their recent albums are really good. Like metal city and all that shit. It's good. I feel, and, I feel like I, I saw them and I could be completely wrong. Open up for Udo and Port Jeff. But you, I probably, be, you might have. Yeah, I mean, probably, I, I'm talking about like 20 years ago. It's still, it makes sense. I mean, they've been around longer than all of them. Yeah. yeah. And, and, and I loved Raven and, and, you know, that whole new wave of British heavy metal movement. And they were such a part of that. But, you know, then, you know, they get signed to Island Anthrax and they don't have a singer. So, you know, they tried out that guy, what is his name? Neil Fallon. And really? And, yeah. And so he was tried out. There's demos with him. Clutch? No, no. Different Neil Fallon. Oh, okay. <laughs> different Neil Fallon. Not Clutch Neil Fallon. Okay. That yeah. would be weird. Yeah. Um, I was like, wait, what? Yeah. There was definitely no Clutch yet at the time. But um, so they, they, I don't know how uh, uh, remember how they stumbled upon Joey Belladonna and he was like upstate. He was like into journey, you know, like he was not, he didn't even know what thrash metal was, you know? Um, and they get him and they just decide like, he's our voice, like he's our guy. And so I heard that armed and dangerous EP first. Yeah. Um, and I thought it was pretty good. But then when they did spreading disease, I was like, Whoa, like this was like when Dickinson got made, you know, and as much as I loved them before, like this just changed everything. Like they may become a really big band and the songs like AIR is my favorite anthrax song probably. Um, but Medusa, like there's so many good songs and Scott's riffs are just stupid, you know, yeah. the best and, and I think Joey just like, it, it, like 
like you said, like for a guy that, that loved journey, like you could tell because like, just somehow he added hooks to that band. Like it didn't fit. And then it, it fit. Yeah. Know? Because it's yeah. like how, like, you know, like listening to thrash, like it's like, how do you even throw a melody in, in a lot of these riffs? But whereas some... it, the other three guys like Hetfield and Araya and Mustaine had a growl to their singing, yeah. but Joey was so clean. Yeah. Right. And right? when Mustaine started to sing, he was annoying. You know, yeah, it was very nasal. I, I never liked the sound of his voice, but like you could listen to Tom Araya all day, you could listen to Hetfield all day. And you know, I'm I'm one of those guys who loves the fucking black album and fuck everybody, you know. Like I love it. I and, love it too. And I love hearing him sing. I love everything they did with it. I it boggles my mind that people hate it as much as they do, but it, it has as much <laughs> to do with people um, you know getting upset that they weren't their little band anymore. You know, it was as much that like we're up to puppets, you know, like even though they got very big on master of puppets, you know, uh, they were still like, they weren't maiden yet. You know, they weren't priest yet. They weren't that kind of band and they certainly weren't crew, you know? And then, you know, they make injustice for all, which I didn't love because the production is so weird. Um, and no just, bass, no, no bass either. <laughs> yeah, the songs are fine, but like, you know, I hate the production. I hate it. There's a reason people talk about this lack of bass all the time. It's it sucks, you, fucks you, the album. Up. You had Fleming on, uh, yeah, in, in, the your, book. in your book. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Like, and I was like, was you, please tell me, like, what's the difference between all these albums? Because yeah. he produced, you know, three of them, and you know, and we talked offline, and it was very, you know, he was not happy, sure. and. You know, so some of it was hazing Jason and some of it was, you know, just they, they wanted to sound different. You know, they didn't want each album to sound exactly the same. So I'm like, so they perfected their whole thing with Master of Puppets and then they won't go that direction again. And you have these super fucking clicky kick drums. And I understand from a frequency point of view, like why those are on metal albums, um, especially for the fast, you know, double, double bass stuff. But like, it's too much. And it just sounds like drums sort of surrounded by the rest of the band, you know? And, and I get it. Like, it's funny too. Like I never thought of it until I think, um, Lars might've said something or, or Kirk where they were just like, we, we were playing like the type, maybe it was Kirk. He was like, we were playing injustice for all the title track. And he's like, it's a nine minute and 45 second song. And I'm looking out into the audience and I'm thinking like, we're never going to play this song ever again. <laughs> but to me, like, I don't know. I love that's my favorite Metallica album, but like the the sound is I terrible. I want to hear them play those songs, but I don't like want to hear that album. Yeah, I, I used just, to. It's a great songs. Like I, I used love, to, at CB's. Um, when Tommy from Prong was running the the board at CB's, I would for sound check. I would play Injustice for All, like the Toms, just to test the Toms, like right. do do do, because that's a great song. Mm -hmm. I think Lars is playing is that's probably his most proficient, like technical wise. Yeah. But the sound is like, God, I can't get over the oh, sound. It's the worst sounding kid I've ever heard until, you know, until Saint Anger, Saint uh, Anger, you know, all three at the same time. Since hold my, hold my beer. And I love Piccolo Snares, just not on that album. Yeah. And they don't work <laughs> when you're playing fast, you know, like up tempo does not work. Yeah. Yeah. Um, that, that is fascinating. Pocketed, you know, thing. But, but so like 
when when I was doing the ABCs of Metallica book. Yes, I wanted to bring that up. Yep. I was talking to, to Mark Ryder, who's their day and day uh, like manager, basically. So they're with Q Prime. Mark used to work for Q Prime. He left Q Prime just to work with them. So he's their day to day guy because they wanted to talk to him about like all their other ventures and doing black and whiskey. And they're like, we're busy, yeah. you know. We need someone who just pays attention to us. So you know how they've been reissuing those box sets of like their albums. And so I was like, and he goes, yeah, we're, we're going to do, you know, Injustice for All next. This was at the time. I was like, uh, you do all this extra shit on the album. What about a version? I was like, it's on YouTube. Like fans just do it. Like they master bass onto the album or they, there's some kid plays, you know, bass over the album. And yeah. like, that's bass. Are you guys going to do anything like that? He goes, nope. He goes, you know, I talked to the guys about it because they, they're very aware of how fans feel about it. And they're like, that's what we made. That's what's going to be in the, in the box set. Interesting. I like, cool. I respect it. Interesting. Um, so I, I, I wanted to get into the Stranger Things, too, because I, like so yesterday uh, or maybe it was like two days ago, I, I go into Starbucks and they're playing Creeping Death. <laughs> Like what the Metallic fuck is, the is thing now? Yo, it's cr- like the power of a show on Netflix because well, look the, what it did like for Kate Bush. Bush, her Spotify numbers are like I can't even count that far. Like so, I'm like I didn't even know numbers existed after like so hundred million. The song "Master of Puppets" on all the the platforms, it's up seventeen hundred percent. Yeah, from the show. Yeah, it, because this whole new audience just heard it. And that's the beauty of certain things like when it ends up on TikTok or even before then, like um, uh, Rock Band, Rock Band, like the video game. That's right. They had people like I never like I played it a few times, but like my brother, who's six years younger, would now know who the Pixies are. I was like, how the fuck? He's like, oh, I know because they I'm playing it on on Garage. No, what is that? Rock Band. But what was the other Guitar Hero? Guitar Hero. Yeah. So, So I'm talking to Lou Kohler yesterday and he goes. He goes, it's so fucking crazy. He goes, we were in the car and we were driving and he was listening to the Ozzy's Boneyard, whatever it was. And, and Master of Puppets came on and he goes, my daughter yeah. fucking turned it up. Yeah. And he goes, I couldn't get this kid to like my music for her whole life. You know, she's like 12, 13, whatever. He goes, she turned up Master of Puppets. I didn't think she knew she knows Metallica exists, but that's about where it ends. And she goes, she turned it up. It was a, just a whole different presentation to her because of where she heard it. Yeah. Now maybe she'll pull the thread on, on Metallica because she knows the one song, right? Who knows? Well, Who kn- no, that's, that's creeping it. death in Star- Starbucks. Yeah. In, Star- <laughs> right. in fucking Starbucks. Like I'm walking in creeping it, death, creeping, de- not, e- not even master puppets. Like I'm just like, <laughs> I'm walking in, I'm looking, I'm like, okay, like, this is cool. You know, it comes back around and, and, and once again, it just goes back to like maybe instruments, maybe somebody will pick up a guitar. Cause like just recently, um, like my nieces are like, God, I don't even know. Maybe they're like, uh, 11 and like 15, if I remember correctly. And I, you know, they, they were coming up from like Myrtle beach and in my head, I'm thinking like, you know what? I have this extra acoustic guitar. I think it's finally time for me to play cool uncle and be like, I think I'm going to part ways with this one. You guys could have it. And they were like, eh, they're like, we're not going to play it. And I was like, wait, what? They were like, they're like, I just give it to someone who's going to use it. But like something like this or like TikTok or certain, like whatever commercials too, because like, you know, the band interrupters. 
Yeah. All right. So, so that song Take Back the Power was a commercial for about four or five months before their first album came out. And so I heard that song and I'm like, who the fuck is this? It sounds like a female fronted rancid. Right. And, and I'm like, what is this? I'm looking and I'm looking and I can't find this song because it hasn't been released. And so closer to the time that, uh, Tim Armstrong's label was going to put out the interrupters. Now I found it and I'm like, Oh, Tim Armstrong produced it. And it's like, you know, and I'm like, and I discovered the interrupters from a commercial, you know, not that I wouldn't, it was out of my wheelhouse, but just, you know, I actually went searching for the song because I heard it in a car commercial. Well, because like now, like, so MTV was such a great curator, regardless of what you could find on YouTube. Right. You could find anything on YouTube, but th- there was something about the curation that they provided where you could have it on in the background and you're like, oh, I like this song, whatever this is. And you see the video and you're like, oh, this is cool. Um, so now you like, you know, now people don't frown upon commercials and stuff like that because like no one sells physical albums for the most part so they're like fuck it get it where you can get it you know 100 percent. listen i worked in publishing i get it you know yeah like you dreamed of the day that one of the band's songs would be in a commercial you know yeah you you worked yeah oh no siv that's right had that toyota commercial then that i think he gave the rights to the the, uh madison square garden and they're playing it at rangers games and i'm like watching the game i'm like here in the background i'm like Holy, that's freaking Siv, dude. Like, Speak, speaking of Lou. Yeah, well, and then. Yeah, yeah. He's, he's, that's right. And then the same thing happened with, um, you know, I, I worked and helped, like, reform the Lords of Brooklyn a little bit. And as they became the Lords. And the Caves TV show. Yeah. And so, you know, we, we basically, um, you know, created this, like, sizzle reel for this show idea. You I know? loved it. I love that and, show. And it's a fun show. And it's like, it's about like the band not really succeeding necessarily, which, you know, isn't so rosy. And but they were cool enough to do that. And so <clears throat> a woman that we knew was affiliated with MSG and she brought it in there and they really liked the idea. So we wound up getting a show, you know, with MSG first, then it went on to Fuse afterward. Um, but it was actually Madison Square Garden was trying to like, up their game on their content. And so, you know, but then they latched on to the New York Groove cover that they did. Yes. So they did a cover yeah. of New York Groove. Yeah. And then all of a sudden, it's being played at the Garden and it's at Ranger Games and Nick Games. And now, oh, let's interview Caves at the Nick Game. And like, oh, now it's being played on CBS during NFL games, during Giants and Jets games. And now it's at the US Open. And it's like, <laughs> And then I go to like City Field and they play their version instead of Ace Freely after the game. And like, I'm like, what is happening? And it was all from TV. You know, it had nothing to do with like fans of the band per se. It it was all about like the marketing and the exposure that they got, you know, from this show. And, you know, it wasn't like the most highly rated show, but like we were getting four to five to 600,000 people watching each episode, you know, huge, yeah. it was crazy. Like, you know, and then, uh, you know, then it re-aired on fuse, you know, and what's crazy though, is we had better ratings on MSG because it was such a weird show for MSG that people were more curious about it when it was on fuse. It was just like some other thing, you know? And that, um, that, that was the weird time too, because like, so that was like 2007, 2008, right? Yep. And so, like, that was a little 
post Napster. Yeah, very well, like probably still during Napster, maybe towards the end. Yeah. And like people had no idea. Like, obviously, you know, you you were you were in the business. I'm just like looking um, where selling albums was didn't even seem like an option anymore. iTunes was like, all right, I'll pay you a dollar for this song. Yeah. Um, and it's like, well, what do you do? And and that show reintroduced me to the Lords of Brooklyn. And then the well, that Lords. was the thing. It's like people people who had no idea who they were and like that's the other thing with like hip-hop based stuff even though like the lord's album was much more of a like rock hip-hop mix um it's palatable like it's not a metal band you know what i'm saying it's not like most people cannot hear metal you know they just don't have the ears for it they don't understand forget hardcore like you know they definitely don't get they don't have the ears for metal because they don't have like, maybe they heard a couple of black Sabbath songs, you know, and those yeah. were on the radio and like, you know, so that that's their like comparison point or, you know, whatever, that's their comp. And, but they don't, you know, so, but when it's with a beat and all that shit, everybody gets that, you know? Yeah. And especially when it's a song you've kind of heard before. So you've got New York groove and then you can go back and there's a song with Everlast and there's a song with Tim Armstrong and, and like, there's all this stuff going on. So, you know, it helped the album for sure, but it definitely was at a time where, you know, albums were not the primary focus yeah. for fans or anybody, you know? But I, th I feel, you know, like later on, I mean, honestly, I don't know how anyone looks at Spotify or Apple music, but I think, I feel like the the business is is starting to to go in the, like the right direction, and I feel like you know everyone kind of just embraces what it is now. And I uh, well, they're know. they're trying to monetize it better. I get it. I mean, the thing was being in the music business, and when the Napster thing popped up, I mean, what happened? And you know, Metallica fell victim to this too. The labels had no idea what to do about it. You know, so this thing comes up, and they're like, "Oh my god, people are stealing music!" You know, like that's that was their the way that they explained it. People are stealing music. And it's like, no, you've been raping people in this business for a long ass time. Like this 19 bucks for a fucking CD yep. that I hate the sound quality of. And I like one song yep. like that's got to end. And this like, you tell me when I can buy it and you're completely in control. And music fans got sick of it. They were just like, we don't want that. We want the music when we want it. If there's like an alternate version of something or a B-side or whatever. Albums we, getting shelved. Right. We just want it. You know, like and if it's a B-side in Europe, why can't I have it in New York? You know, it's like, fuck you. You know, like that, let was, us have that it. was the best too. like back in the day. And I know Merciless covered this, too, like as far as like favorite demos. Yep. I think I think that was one of the things um, yeah, I remember. Yeah, I remember just doing like uh, like I was a big Smashing Pumpkins fan. And like back then, like, you know, you would find like this cassette that had like acoustic versions. Right. And it was like, whoa, it was like getting a whole new album that you've already heard, but not really you just have it. Yeah, it's fucking you could just, awesome. It's, you could have it if you you look if you love the Smashing Pumpkins, you could have gone onto one of these things and searched Smashing Pumpkins and the shit that some person has in their house that they were able yeah. to get it. They brought it back from another country. They, whatever they did, um, had access to a friend at the label who had it, and it was only going to be for radio stations or whatever it was. And now you can have it, and that's that's the relationship with music that people want. They don't want to like have some massive corporation dictating everything. Like nobody wants that. And, you know, to the point where indie labels came about because there was all kinds of music that the big labels didn't want to put out. 
So it's like, what? so they, they should just like not exist because, you know, like Sony or, you know, one of those companies doesn't want, you know, your music. It's like, that's ridiculous. Ridiculous. And, and so I'm, I'm, oh, sorry. Go ahead. I was going to say, speaking of any labels. Yes. Uh, I, maybe we could jump to in effect right now if you want to, because I have a greeting from someone who I talked to earlier before the pod, because I want to know if you guys had ever crossed paths at the Relativity Building back in Hollis, which is where you started in effect. Um, but it's, it's the, it's Bill from Blackout, Bill Wilson. Of course. Yeah. And he, no, he no told me. Yeah, yeah. He said you guys would. Uh, he said he met you through Killing Time, but yeah. he got to start right before, like I guess when you were on your way. Yeah, we kind of like cross paths toward the end there. Yeah, yeah. And then he said um, you would do something called a hate lunch. Oh yeah, um, <laughs> that sounds great. Yeah, hate lunch. And it's I got oh, some names. Shit. I'm gonna he's gonna name drop because he's he's gonna listen to this pod on Monday. Yeah. But uh, he says I'd come out every so often on a Friday. We. I do shit talking lunches at a place called Garden of Eating <laughs> with Howie, Jim Welch, Steve Martin from AF. Yeah. Perry Serpa. Yeah. So Perry, Perry was like one of the publicists there. Yeah. And uh, I said uh, Jim, Jim Welch ran earache. Steve and Perry were PR. Brian and Dave were at our art department. These, this is, I'm reading his text yeah. to me. Brian Freeman. Yeah. Yeah. So greetings. Bill says hi. I, I said he'd probably make a better co-host than, than I would today, but um. I'm hoping Sam gives him a shot one of these days. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I, love, I love Bill. And like, I was I was into Blackout. And I love, you know, the Where the Wild Things Are comp and all that stuff. And like, you know, so he was one of those people who came in towards the end. And like, things were very chaotic at that point. It wasn't really running all that smoothly. But like, um, but he was one of us, you know. So yeah. when he came in again, knew him from Killing Time and all that. Um, like, he was one of us. So it was sort of like, he fit right into our shit-talking you know, coffee class, <laughs> you want to call it. Right. We were just, because we were fighting the big, it's hard to believe that there was a big relativity machine, but there sort of was because there was like, there were a handful of records on relativity that were huge, right? So two Joe Satriani albums that were platinum, you know? Um, and then you have Steve Vai comes out platinum, you know, was they had passion the and warfare. Yeah. Yes. And then the next album, I think, too. Um, so but they, they had the album before that. What's the thing called? Um, it was before that album, too. Um, there was like a you know, it was, it was like an eat. I don't know what it was, but there was some other Steve Vai thing that did really well. And, and when, <laughs> when when the company learned how to market Joe Satriani, like this instrumental guitar player thing, they were like Steve Vai, you know, and then it was yeah. Chris Military, like, all, you know, they were doing all this shit. And then uh you know, the bass player who played for Satriani, he got a record and, you know, so they were doing all this shit. And, and so we, you know, we were like, felt like we were the Rosa Parks of that company. Like we were still, <laughs> you know, the pieces of shit, you know? And like, we, you know, at that point, like 24 seven spies had sold some real records. Like most of the bands did quite well, you know, like by the time I left that building, I mean, sick of it all, it probably sold like 90,000 albums, wow. you know, for something we made for $10,000, you know, yeah. it's like, just do the fucking math. Like they were doing fine. And even with us giving tour support and actually doing our jobs and, and spending and some money, um, like it worked, you know, yeah. and, and then that was the time 
I'm sorry. Spies like broke through yeah. and then we do scatterbrain, you know, like as Ludacris was what we signed. And then we realized they should just be a totally different band. Like, cause they made the album and we're like, just don't even be Ludacris, you know, That's the star of the video right there. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> get thrown off the fucking empire. Yeah. I love that ending. <laughs> and, uh, and so, you know, it was, it was an interesting time, you know, but Bill was great. And like, yeah, we, we would go berserk. And then the head of marketing was kind of a douchebag. And so he would sit in the corner and we would coordinate these attacks on him. So it was all these cubicles and he would sit in the corner. So we would all sort of like look at each other and everybody would grab something like a CD. And it was like, like three, two, one, and everybody fucking chucks some <laughs> shit into his corner. And it would just explode off the walls. Like we were like, what are we doing? Like he's gonna get hurt, you know? Like we're throwing CD, you know, cases with CDs in them, like into his corner, and they're hitting a concrete wall, you know, yeah, and they're just it. crashing and exploding. And so, you know, that was that was part of our, I mean, we were dicks. <laughs> In Hellraiser well, 3, there was a guy who threw CDs and, uh, you know, uh-huh. uh, that's how he killed people. So that's we, we didn't sharpen them or anything, but, you know, <laughs> they were sharp enough. But yeah, that, that time, I mean, but that time was amazing. It really was. Well, even before that, a little bit, I was going to say, I mentioned this earlier, but um, that whole second wave of the New York hardcore scene. And, uh, you know, there were all the demo bands that, that were looking for some way to get on vinyl. And, um us being one of them, you, you know, if you didn't fit the mold of like Revelation, they were out. Right. And um, if you didn't kind of, so after Revelation kind of like put themselves out there. So there was you guys, cause you, you had signed sick of it all mm-hmm. um, and, and raw deal or killing time. Yeah. And then we're like, well, what, so Bill did blackout. And so we, you know, we hopped on them uh, on yeah. their comp and then they signed us. Like that was like, to me, like a little golden age of like independent, like, like labels to like give all these demo bands because they're such a new wave, put them on, give them, you know, sign them to a record deal, let them, let them record stuff for real, you know, not these two tracks. So that was like a little golden age, which in effect was yep. part of, you know, and you, and you, you had, a, I'm sorry, you sorry, had a, ahead, a leeway thing too. Oh, oh yeah. profile. Yeah. Profile had leeway yeah. and chrome eggs. Right. But that was such a mess. I mean, you know, that right bands, but what a terrible place. And, you know, just, and, you know, we really wanted to sign leeway and we just couldn't get it done. Like their album was just sitting there, you know? Well, and- I'll give you the other perspective because I, I know you guys wanted them and like, I'm friends with all those guys still. We, we grew up on the same block, AJ and, mm-hmm. and Eddie and they had, right. They had recorded, they went up to Rhode Island and recorded the born to expire, but no release date, nothing, not even about two years later. Yeah. And I know that I, I, AJ was still living, you know, on our block, would hang out in the park. And he's like, yeah, we got to find a way to like get this out there. You know, so from, from that side of things, they were frustrated, just as frustrated. Yep. And I think you said somewhere that you had to, would have to pay the band money too. Yeah. Because we, we, we spoke to profile and they were willing to do something, but I think they had some bizarro land fantasy that we had, you know, obscene amounts of money to spend. And we were like, no, what we're able to spend is getting the record from you because unlike you, we spend money marketing and promoting the record. So we can't put money in people's pockets. And I don't know where that came from. Like, so I don't know if it was, you know, one guy, some of the guys, the label, I I don't really know like what was going on there, but we were like, no, like the dollar figure we gave you is to have the album, you know? 
and you'll get an override on it. So if it does great, you'll get paid. And if it doesn't do great, then you suffer because you haven't put this fucking album out for two years. Um, but we were so into them. And, uh, you know, obviously all the bands went up to Rhode Island after, you know, that album, because you just heard the guitar sound alone and everybody wanted to work with Tom Soares and, uh, and who was amazing. And, it just, you know, it was so fucking unfortunate. And I remember those guys like sitting in front of CBs at matinees, like playing the album for everybody because they were just like, we're sick of it at this point. It's like <laughs> it's an it's a year plus old. And, you know, we wrote new songs already. And like, yeah. you know, this album isn't even out like people I'll, haven't heard it. I'll share a funny story about that. What you just said, um, because AJ gave us the the tape. And it was the it was the finished product, but he's like, "Don't share this with anybody. Don't." This is the age of double cassette decks where you could just dub it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. And so he was like, <laughs> he was like, "Here you go, but don't share this with anybody." And so I'm driving around the BQE with Luke from Gorilla Biscuits. I'm giving him a ride home, and he's got my boombox with the double tape deck, and I'm like, "Listen, I'll let you hear this, but the minute <laughs> I take the minute I take you home, you gotta, you know." You can't borrow it. Yeah, I'm right. not going to let you borrow it. Right. So I'm driving and, you know, the BQEs are all windy and stuff. And so I'm trying to keep my eyes on the road, but I see him trying to press pause and play <laughs> yeah. record because he pulled out a tape and then he had in his bag. And I'm like, I, I had to talk to him like, dude, don't do that. AJ will kill both of us. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's great. So to this, to this I day, I still I still give Luke shit about that. <laughs> I have to imagine there's, there's a lot of stories like that because yeah. everybody wanted it, you know, but. And it was just so fucking frustrating, you know, because we were kind of on a roll and we just felt like they fit in perfectly. And, you know, like there was even the, the, the Bad Brains leeway tour and then sick of it all caught up with it on the West Coast. And we're like, Jesus, like what a show we could have released shit by all three of these bands. Yeah. We put out the Roar cassette on, on CD and we were sick of it all's label and we wanted to be leeway's label. And we're like this could be this could be us like this could be in effect and 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 we just couldn't you know we couldn't make it happen in the end and you know every time i talked to like mike gibbons he was like fuck you know like i hate talking about this because i really wanted that to happen you know were you and, dealing with chris williamson like person to person on the deal well, so I, I don't remember i guess we probably spoke to profile first like, because really they owned it. It wasn't really like Chris Williamson didn't own anything, which is why those records stayed there when he left. Yeah. Um, you know, so we were probably just talking a profile and, you know, I'm assuming that they had to talk to Chris, like, and get the okay to let it go, you know, but even still, we were just like, you know, just, are you even putting this record out? Like it's been two years. Like what reason do you have to sit on this album? Like, so what, frustrating. what is this? I don't even understand the reasoning, you know, like if you ran out of money, I get it, you know, and then like profile wanted to sign 24 seven spies. And so they were going after them, like right when I was really courting them hard. And so this is like another dick. I was 19, 20 years old move, but like when we signed them, they came into the office in Hollis to sign it. And we got them like, um, like a, like a Carvel log ice cream cake and, and we served it on some profile 12 inch. 
And so like, I have a photo of it somewhere. It's ridiculous. <laughs> we would even do that. But like Steve Martin and I thought it was the funniest shit in the world, you know? We were funny. like, let's put this cake like melting all over this you know, profile 12 inch because they were in the warehouse, you know? Like, so, you know, important distributed this shit. And so we're like, I'm just going to go grab one of the, you know, one of the profile records and we're going <laughs> to serve the cake on it. I, uh, all right. So, man, I, I have about six pages worth of notes, but I'm not going to keep you. I'm just going to ask you. It's completely up to you. I can talk about this shit all day. <laughs> I don't, I, like, I'm fine. It's Sunday night. I have no school tomorrow. Yeah. So, uh, what, what I, 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 I just, uh, so to me, nonfiction were mm. like the pixies of hip hop. Ah, they were very much like, like to me, they were, I mean, they were just the shit. They were like the top of their world to me. Uh, waiting for the future is now was amazing. Everything that came before it was like just that build up from the four W's, yeah. the legacy. Um, so in your book, uh, I noticed that, that, that there's a section uh, because I always think P-Cell's, you know, Ill Bill song had so many great references. So the yeah. fact that there is a chapter or a section of it, <laughs> to me, when he says speaking to deaf Americans like Tom Araya, like yeah. that line is just like, if yeah. you are from our world, which is hip hop centric, metal centric, everything centric. And another thing about nonfiction, which was a big deal to me, because I was in I was more of an indie rock guy than I was a hardcore guy. So like, I'm like, these guys are on the same label as pavement. And right. you know, so it was nonfiction and the arsonist. Right. And that was such a big deal to me. So like, how did you come across Bill and uh, how'd you guys start? Like just kind of just being such good friends. It's a fucking funny story. So he used to work in like uh, clothing retail yeah. because that's what his dad did. And so there was that time when there were all those clothing stores, like the like the streetwearish kind of hip hop ish clothing stores. V I M. Right, uh, but like yellow rap bastard, yellow rap bastard, like, bastard V I M. Like mom and pop ones, right? Okay, yeah. That were on Lower Broadway, right? Somewhere between, like whether they're between Fourteenth Street and Canal, you know. Yeah. There was a bunch. Yeah, yeah. So I used to like go into those stores and like go shopping, or whatever. So Bill works at one of them at the time. And so I, I'm in the store and he's got like the I shot Reagan bumper stickers and shit behind the counter. And, you know, they're all owned by like Israelis and his dad is Israeli. And so I'm in there. This is fucking still blows my mind. And he looks at me and he goes, yo, are you in a band? And I'm like, no, you know, <laughs> and, and he goes, yes, you are. And I'm like, what do you mean? Yes, I am. He goes, you're an extra hot sauce. And I'm like, what? Like, how would you know that? Yeah. And so we started talking. And so I'm like, you know, the whole extra hot sauce thing? No. Okay. So I was in like a total, just for, totally for fun band that was on Peaceville Records. Like our label mates were like real bands, like crust punk bands and like all this shit with Danny Looker. So Danny was our drummer. Because Danny, oh shit, I remember this. Yeah, Danny just had this bizarre fantasy of playing drums. So and you know, <laughs> so but but he just wanted to play drums really fast. That's yeah. it. Like he wanted to try to be the fastest drummer ever. So <laughs> me, so I'm the singer. You know, you got to go fucking YouTube right after this. Yes, I'm the singer. Danny's the drummer. My friend 
Rob, who never played bass, but he'd go to shows with us, like the whole thing, never played bass. Danny just taught him how to play the songs. And my friend Eric, who was a big like metal dude, who but could really play guitar. So thank God we actually had a real guitar player because he was the only actual musician in the band playing their instrument. Their instrument, yeah. So, so we, we did a demo. Um, Extra Hot Sauce was our name. And for no other reason than we used to go get high and go to the fucking Jack's on Northern Boulevard. On Yo, Jax. Oh, my God. Taco, <laughs> Taco Tuesday. Tuesday. Yeah. So, so it's all Taco Tuesday. That's yes. It. That's where it all comes from. Yes. So we wind up getting approached. And believe me, I have no illusion <laughs> at all that I just know Danny Luker was in the band and Nuclear Assault was huge in 1988. So this guy from Peaceville Records, which was like, it was like the, the little brother of Eric, you know, uh, records. Like, basically, it was like, you want to make a record, you know? So we're like, sure, we'll make a record. Like, he gave us like seven grand or something like wow. that. Wow. And so the record's fucking terrible. Like, <laughs> it, our demo, it, like, it really is the cliche of our demos blow our album away. Like, we didn't know what to do in the studio. It's, you know, it's, it was terrible. It was fun, but it was terrible. Did that demo ever make it into Bleaker Bob's? Oh, sure. I, yeah, because I remember the extra hot sauce. I'm like, what is this? Wow. It was a big deal. Like, Peaceville had records that people bought. Yeah. And, you know, Bleaker Bob, sometimes he'd be like, you want to buy this, right? He would always, like, try to, like, suggest stuff to you. So, I'm yeah. this is all coming back to me now, but that's amazing. We were basically, like, agnostic front on Napalm Death. You know <laughs> what I mean? Like, so it was all, like, super fast grindcore shit, even though I wasn't really, like, about that stuff. And but like when we would rehearse, we play AF covers and we would do stuff like that. And like, you know, this was starting in like 87, probably that we did this. And like the album came out, I guess, in 87, 88. And and like now I made the mistake of putting my home address on the back of the album. So like Vinny Stigma with Victim and Pain, having his home address on the album, I put my address and now it's my parents house. So uh, apartment, forget house. And we're getting mail. Like all these nutty fucking grindcore people are like, you know, writing to me. And I'm like, what did I get myself into here? Now I have to, you know, respond to this mail. Um, and so, but it was crazy. And then I get a call like, you know, like a few months later after the album comes out and Danny's like, he's like, Hey, we just got a show. And I'm like, what show? You know, yeah. I was like, we're going to do a show. And he's like, yeah, we can open up for prong at Lamore. And I'm like, you're kidding. And I was like, when? And he goes in two days, like Saturday night, you know, whatever. I'm like, I can't go. So they played without me. Why couldn't you go? I had to work or something like I couldn't. I just couldn't go. It was two days later. Wow. You know? So and I was like, I don't want to be in a band. I don't ever want to play a show like never. You know, it's and, just not what and, I thought we were doing here. And Bill was like, Bill remembered this because he's fucking like that. Well, because his band opened for prom. Wow. At Lemoore. Injustice. Injustice. Injustice yeah. So, so uh, they opened for prom. They opened for Sepultura. Like, you know, all this stuff. So Bill remembers that I'm in this band, Extra Hot Sauce. Wow. And I'm like, why you rapper guy? Like, how do you know any of this? Yeah. And so then we, you know, then we like met. And then I heard nonfiction. Yes. And I was just like, Holy shit, these guys are good, you know? Oh, so and what year was this then? So this was, I mean, when did 
because the I future mean, is now it, must have been like 2002 pre, it's right it's pre-future is now it, okay. they only had singles out you know so i shot reagan was out i shot reagan was out there was uh, probably another 12 inch out like yeah, yeah. Fat Beach uh, black helicopters right but i would go to like fat beats and then you see black helicopters yeah. and you're like what's with the away artwork you know yes like, yes that's you know? right and it's like holy shit away from voivod did the yeah. fucking artwork and he did their logo and you're like whoa like what is going on here you know and so and then i i, I then i i reconnected with him later on and i was like i had no idea you know like he would tell me like of the bands he liked but there were rappers who would name drop middle bands and yep. you know, things like that you know um and so they, I, they were I, deep they were like deep references like no, i got real deal like him and gore are yep. fucking like just like deep like you listen and i'm sure i miss some of them too but like whenever i catch him i'm like this motherfucker and he still does them, but not in one song you know yeah. like like he'll still do shit and you're just like whoa he just talked about possessed you yes, know? or even like like uh, the new song. So once upon a time in Canarsie. That's like, right. I I have a friend, uh, like my girlfriend's brother in law, who now lives in Arizona. I sent him that song, and he mm-hmm. remembered everyone. He was just like, "Oh my God, Patty Testa, right?" And, this and that. he was like, "Go!" Like he's like, "I can't." Like Bill blew his mind, like with all the shit right. he was in, and, and right. Gore too. Like it just uh, it's fucking what crazy. It and then you know, we just we realized at some point, like we just shared a brain, like as far as music goes, and so. He was a little less into hardcore. He was more of a metal guy, but he liked AF and Murphy's Law and Cro-Mags and, you know, Bad Brains, obviously. But like, you know, so he was not as deep, you know, whereas like Gore-Tex was a hardcore kid, too. You know, like he knew all the hardcore bands and the metal bands. And so it was just sort of amazing, like what was going on in that band, whereas like Eclipse doesn't know any of it. He knows more now, you know, but like and Sabat didn't know really anything, much yeah. of it. Yeah, yeah. And, and but Bill and and Gore, you know, they grew up together. And then obviously Necro, you know, they all like this stuff. And then they start putting these guys on their records and like, you know, Necro's got metal guys and obituary. And yeah, like and then eventually, you know, the whole thing with getting HR on, on Bill's records and, you know, like that stuff like that was that was crazy in itself. I mean, I was there like what he would you worked like you, like you worked right. Didn't. You worked on one of the albums, right? Yeah. So right after, right after I left uh, Jive and Zamba, I went to work at Warner Music Group, and I had like a little imprint label there. And so I signed Bill as a solo artist because, and he was like, "Really, you just want to sign me as a solo artist?" I'm like, "Yeah." I was like, "Your last album with fucking, you know, Anatomy of a School Shooting, all that shit, like." that's incredible to me, you know, like that's, I want, I want you to do an album with some resources and and do it, you know? And so, you know, basically we did the hour of reprisal, which is a Slayer lyric. And then he gets, you know, Max Cavalera on the, on the album, but then he also gets Immortal Technique and he's got Raekwon and, and, you know, and he's got tracks from, you know, from, from, from the hottest dudes, you know, from Primo and like all of the shit. So, I'm like, Jesus Christ. And like, you know, I got this guy, Carlos Bess, who was like RZA's engineer, you know, like real serious, like got that sound, you know, like I, got, I feel like Dante Rust and he bring him up. Was that the guy that well, Dante he, was talking oh, I about? Brought him up. Okay. I brought him up, but he didn't do the ODB record. Album. Yeah. Okay. And I'm still I'm not even sure Dante's right about like um, 
about some of what I heard. I but love, I don't, I, I love you know, jumping on Dante's like threads sometimes because he does not give a fuck. Like I, he was like, um, we were talking about songwriters and I mentioned a songwriter and he is just like, ah, he fucking sucks. <laughs> but like, he's just so he, funny. So, so Dante and I had problems for a little while. Okay. Like we had like a, an issue. Okay. For a so I was surprised he was kind of like, cordial you know gotcha. on that okay. that you saw yeah, um, yeah. i was i was i was like oh here we go like he fucking doesn't like me and like some shit's gonna happen and by the way generally people don't not like me i'm not that guy you know yeah. what i mean i'm not I, I don't cause controversy i'm not really that person For sure. um so he's, he's one of the few people who like it's at a point didn't like me yeah so so he jumps in on that and i just remember because carlos played me these dats you know what I mean? And it would literally be guys in Wu-Tang on fucking angel dust. And they would go sit at a piano and just do shit. Like, so RZA would just play piano for an hour on angel dust. And like the dat captured all of it, you know? And like someone else would walk in the room and suddenly ghost is fucking rhyming over his piano playing and like all of this shit. So I heard all this stuff, you know? And he goes, we have you can't even imagine how many hours of stuff we have, you know, because we'd always record these debts. And so every time you hear what sounds like, oh, like in mid sentence, he's on a different microphone. It's because he's going from the dat to the fucking real microphone, you know? So again, I can't tell you exactly which Wu-Tang albums, yeah. you know, but it sounds like all of them, you know? sure. <laughs> like all the ones that are super rough, you know, like where, you know, like maybe Jizza gets through all of his rhymes, you know, like, and it doesn't like he's not punching in that much, well, you know. One, one of the records you mentioned was uh, Return to 36 Chambers, which was very yeah. much like I can't even imagine what those sessions it's just were pieced like. together, you know. Yeah, I can't imagine. I can't even imagine what it was like to like compile, like just engineer those sessions because it just doesn't even it's just like insanity, I'm sure. Well, that's so. So we learned something from that from Carlos. So when we got HR to like show up to a studio, basically we brought him there, but like just to like get in the studio to record for Bill's album, we're like, you got to run a dad because I don't know what he's going to do and when he's going to do it. And so you just got to, and this was when he was in the throes of like shit going yeah. on, you know, like he was not together, um, you know, together enough to sing, but like, you know, just, He's better now, you know, like you can have conversations. He is. I had so we had him on If I Rule the World. Um right. Uh geez, I don't know when the fuck we did that, but like so he played a show with my band in Long Beach and me mm -hmm. and my my friend George uh just was it in a car? Did you do yeah, it? Yeah, we did it in a I fucking remember. car. Like I, but he was like like we were like, we don't know what kind of like and George is like the biggest bad brains fan. So it was just mm -hmm. it, was, it was a trip for us. It was like uh, it, it was, but we didn't know. We didn't know what, what was going to happen. And he spoke right. to us for like 45 minutes. And we're right. like, that was pretty cool. Well, here's here's what was crazy. So we you know, Bill had been going out to L.A. and Bill was very big in L.A. at the time. So like when he or Necro or any of those like New York Fat Beats guys would go out there, like sure. people would show up. Yeah. And so he's playing like Bill's like playing a theater like headlining, like it's like 900 people there. It was ridiculous, you know? Mm -hmm. And so every time of the previous couple of times he'd been to LA, HR was living out there. And, and he, so he got his like handlers, you know, contact. He's like, look, I'm going to be in LA. Please bring HR to my show. Like, so the previous two times, no show doesn't happen. Like you don't even hear back from the guy. You don't know if he got the message, nothing. So Bill's going to do this big show. And now HR shows up. 
So I happen to be there. So someone comes and tells us, yo, HR is here, you know? So we're like, fuck, like, what are we going to do? So we brought him backstage and we literally, we like kidnapped him, you know, like, please don't leave the room, you know, like, like somebody stay on top of him the whole night because we have to make sure we know where he is. Yeah. And so we talked to him and we're (laughs) we're like, basically, you know, I'm talking to Bill, like, what are we going to do? Like, you could probably record him tonight, but what are we going to do? Like, we don't have anything for him to sing over. What are we doing? So we, so what's his name? Um, uh, who's the, the DJ for, uh, for uh, House of Pain? Um, oh, uh, Lethal. So DJ Lethal's there. So we're like, you have a studio, don't you? Like, if we can get HR to come there tonight, can we record him in your studio? And he's like, absolutely. So Limp Biscuit was paying for a studio and he had a studio right near the Capitol Records building. It's like, okay, cool. So we'll, we talked to HR. Shout out to and, Ford Fairlane real quick, but God. Yeah, exactly. So, so we're like, you know, would you be cool to come sing, you know, tonight? And he's like, sure. You know, we're like, holy fuck, like we're going to get this done. So then I talked to Bill. I'm like, what are we doing? Like, what is he doing vocals over? You know, he goes, I have a beat CD like in my pocket. He goes, so what we'll do is we'll play him the beats and we'll go, which one do you want to sing over? You know, and like, just let him fly, like just do whatever you want. Yeah. You know, we'll see what happens. So we get to the studio and there's six beats. So we're like, we play him all six beats. We're like, which one do you want to sing over? He goes, I'll sing over all of them. We're like, what? So he does three takes of each. Wow. Okay. So That's pretty have, interesting. We have 18 tracks of HR's vocals. That's awesome. And so, and it starts out from like, it's almost spoken word, kind of quiet, you know, and then he builds up to singing. And so we ran the dat the whole time because if he was just trying anything out, if he was humming, if he was like, whatever, we have to have it, you know? Yeah. And so we learned that from Carlos, run a dat, like record everything. And so we did, and he's, you know, Bill got two songs out of him, yeah. you know, where he put a chorus together and like put verses together. And like, you know, the first song was about Bill's daughter, you know, and, uh, and he just, we took it from those sessions and then he did, you know, the 40 deuce Hebrews thing with him. Yep. And, uh, and that was wound up in HR's movie. Um, and then, you know, there may be a third one at some point. He says he definitely has enough like usable stuff. Yeah. And so, but I was in the room, like in the room with HR, not in the control room, like in the, the room with the mic, like sitting on a couch with HR. And now people in LA who were at the show started hearing that HR is at Lethal Studio recording. So people start showing up. So it's like Isaac shows up. He was living out there at the time. Yes. Like SD shows up. Like, and so like, you know, it felt like, half a DMS is in the fucking, you know, control room because they just want to see HR sing Dude, and they want to hang out with Bill. Yeah. Yeah. Of course. Bill, for sure. Definitely. Um, and, and so, but you were there kind of for a lot of things. So like just in your memory wise, cause I, I actually copied down your, your, your concert list here. And in your <laughs> concert list, you, you, you said that best concert is basically every bad brain show up to 1989. So if you could just <laughs> pick one in your brain, that sticks out the most since we're on the, the wow. I mean, all I can say is I know a very big favorite was the 1018 show 
um, that Living Color, in. right? Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, so Vernon Reed's Living Color. Uh, so yes. The way Vernon Reed's Living Color, Bad Brains. And so, so that was one of my favorites because they were just on fire still. You know, it was like a little post. It was like sort of between Eye Against Eye and Into Quickness. And they were just like firing on all cylinders. So there's two things I'll tell you about that show. One, I was blazing on mushrooms at the show. Nice. Um, so I went with Danny Loker and unbeknownst to me, he's like, hey, I got a bunch of mushrooms in my pocket. I was like, let's do it. And go let's see do it. Yeah. You know, so so, you know, we go in and, you know, nobody played yet, but Leeway was going to play first. No, maybe they played second. I think Vernon Reed's Living Color opened. And so I, I go like near the stage. And AJ sees me and he's like, I need your help. And I was like, okay. Like, you know, it was about an hour into the mushrooms. So they're about to let fly. And he's like, I need like my, whoever was going to be his tech that night, like crapped out and wasn't going to make it. He's like, will you just like watch my shit for me? Like while we play, I'm like, sure. So I'm like, you know, I don't play guitar. Like, I can't tune this thing for you. I can't do anything, you know? And he's like, it's fine. I have two guitars with me. If something happens, I'll just hand me the other guitar. We're cool. Like, I'm going to use a cord, no wireless system. So they're playing. They're killing, right? Leeway's killing it, that show. Now I'm looking at AJ's chords, and I'm like, snakes, you know? like, <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, like, I'm seeing something else. So, And I'm like, please, nothing happened. I've been there. Please don't let anything happen here because I can't do anything. Like, I don't even know what's going on right now. I'm just, I know Leeway's playing, you know, that's about the extent of it. Yeah, so yeah. they, they do great. I didn't have to do anything amazing. Um, and then the bad brain just played this amazing show. And like, I remember uh, the PA was half the PA kept crapping out. Um, so that kept happening. And so, but it sort of didn't matter, you know, because they were just, fucking bad brains they were gods on stage they were living legends playing in front of you and like killing you know and like i remember the pa was like more of like a dance club pa so it was very low and had a lot of subs and shit so like it wasn't a super high pa so people were using it as like a fucking diving board all night and so i remember during the bad brains like seeing like harley and people like that just flying off the pa and like, it just was happening all night because there was a barricade. So you couldn't really get to the stage, but you can get on top of the PA. Amazing. And so it was just amazing. And it was like, they played every right song. Is there they, footage of this on YouTube? So there's a couple of things. Um, so Clayton Patterson has a lot of footage from that show. Um, and it, you know, like it's never fully been seen, but there's footage of it in the HR movie. Okay. So there's some footage of it, which is up uh, on, right. It's you, it's you still up it? on one of the platforms, if okay. not more, I don't know if it's Netflix or prime or might what. be, pr I think it's prime, man. But you can still see it. So there's some footage in there. I'm dying to get Clayton to like, you know, to like show it to me. Um, and so, so, you know, that footage is insane. And, you know, the other thing was when we were working on the book on HR's book and I found out some shit about, stuff that happened at that show. Wow. So Anthony County talks about in the book where that night, 
uh, Island Records was interested in signing Bad Brains. And this had happened from time to time, like, you know, that Maverick, all these things like happened, you know, once in a while. And so Island Records, Chris Blackwell signed fucking Bob Marley, you know, and you too. And he wants to sign Bad Brains. So they bring Anthony brings uh, uh, him to the show. And the show's over. They just killed it. They played in front of like 3,500 people, whatever it was. And like, uh, hey, um, HR, I want to introduce you to Chris Blackwell. So HR is like, cool, cool. I'll be right back. This is after the show. They see him walk out the door. Wow. So he just blows it off. Like he didn't trust label people, like didn't want any part of it and just fucking left. That is amazing. (laughs) That is just, that's like a, like that documentary dig with uh that oh guy. yeah 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 like he just was not into that the seattle one no the it seattle? was uh dig was with uh that band uh uh brian jonestown massacre ah okay where yeah, he yeah, was yeah. just completely this weird crazy self-saboteur uh, yeah. he, they had a label that wanted to sign them and he decides to fist fight the guitar player on stage. And right, there's like footage right. of it. No, I, yeah. Well, H HR beat up his manager first show of Beastie Boys tour. So, you know, yeah. Right after they put out a record on Madonna's label Maverick. Yeah. 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 And then, so they never even make it to the stage for the first date of the biggest tour that they ever got. There's just something like, yeah. They were going to play, they were going to tour with you too, Bad Brains. That was the other part of the plan that they were going to be on the Joshua Tree tour. Um, So, can you imagine? So, essentially, so they had like disposable heroes of hypocrisy instead. Wow. I remember that. Yeah. That's a a throwback name. That was supposed to be Bad Brains. Wow. On On the fucking playing like Yankee Stadium, you know? I don't even, I just can't even comprehend that, to be honest with you. <laughs> Maybe it just wasn't meant to be, I guess. And I only try to repeat like the stuff that I think is probably really true yeah. because there's so many rumors and so much shit, but I'm pretty sure that stuff's accurate. Wow. Um, all right. Yeah. So, I mean, we've been going for a while. I have a bunch of notes. We're going to do a part two just because like I could do this all day. Um, well, are but... we going to get to the big four of hip hop? You told me to. Uh, oh, yeah. Yeah. Be yeah. ready for Okay. Yeah, for sure. You want to do that? Yeah, I'll give you my big four. So I was looking back at your at the post because I remember you, you know, you brought this up online and everything. And I was like, I'm in, you know? Yeah. And you're like, okay, so like remember, you know. Um, and but like I I didn't get to hear the show when Uh, so I think it was like top (laughs) ten. Wasn't it top ten songs of the big four? Well, there was that. Yeah, that that I did provide. Okay. But like, but I don't think I gave like my big four. No, right. no, so let's do it. So my big four obviously must start with Run DMC. I don't care what fucking era of rap music you like. They, they all don't exist without Run DMC. Yes. Like, so Run DMC, they are the Black Sabbath of hip hop. You cannot have them on a list like this. You know, you can't have a list like this without them. We had we so we had the discussion, um, Joe, the last time you were on, we, we talked about our favorite beats of like 1980s. And yeah. we, we had a lot of that stuff and, and uh, beats to the rhyme was definitely Peter Piper like one or two. Yeah. So for sure. Shout out, of course, Queens. All three of us are Queens guys. That's right. My, uh, my wife in 1999 was a dig. Uh, she was tr- trying to get her teacher's degree. So she was working at um, a school in in Hollis right off of Farmers. 
and the one of her one of her students, the the father, was um, managing Run DMC at the time. Oh wow! And so I got eight by tens and all these cool stories. I'm like, That's super when can cool. I when can I meet this guy? I never yeah. did meet him, but um. Well, his uh, what's his name? Run's wife worked in accounting at Relativity. That is amazing. So we saw her every day. Super nice. And thank God I eventually got to help like work on a record with Jam Master J. I need to know how you feel about this if you're a Run DMC guy. What's your thoughts on pause? I mean, I like it a bit more now. Like when it first came out, I was like, eh. I love it. But I like it now, you know? Yeah. I think it's like the I'm the man kind of thing with like a little bit. Appreciate right? like at the first listen, you're like, this is Run DMC, what they've turned into. And then, <laughs> but I liked it from the beginning. It's the Ghostbusters yeah. song. I didn't like the Ghostbusters song, which was the yeah. A side. Shout out to DMC for driving from New Jersey to fucking Selden, New York to talk to me and George on If I Rule the World. Me and oh. him were like, how is this even like, why did you just drive two and a half hours to talk to us? Like, <laughs> well, he wrote, he wrote the forward for our hip hop alphabet book. Like oh. he, he's such a great guy. And like caves is very close with him. And, you know, he's on a Lords of Brooklyn song and um, all this stuff. And, you know, just amazing. Okay. So yeah. you're cool with, you're cool with pause. I love yeah, pause. pause is fine. Um, <laughs> my sec, my second uh, entry in that would have to be public enemy. Yes. Um, and so just change the fucking game, you know, bomb, bomb squad, Absolutely change the game bomb um, squad. Like, like I, like I mentioned on one of your threads, like, the, like when I met Hank Shockley, I was mm-hmm. just completely like, I just such a big part of the story. Right. Yeah. Like I just, I couldn't like, like he was friends with someone. So like we had mutual, a mutual friend and like where I was just like, you're you know, I wasn't trying to like Chris Farley him, but right. in the head, I'm thinking like, you're f- like, he just wanted to talk to me about rock music because he knew I played guitar. Yeah. He actually was like, oh, I, th- I think I need a guitar player in the studio. And I was so intimidated. It had to be like 20 years ago that I never even followed up because I'm would like, you do I, it now? I would do it now. Right. Back then, I was just like, I can't like you're, I'm, you're well, I, was- in, in my head. I'm like, you could find 30 people better than I am. Right. But the thing is, like. He, you know, he bonded with you, like he had a vibe with you. That's that was part of it, you know, and and that's such a big thing, you know. So I get, like, you, you know, you didn't feel like you were ready for that, but like, yeah, you know, he, you were talking, you were having this mutual something or other. We, we were vibing hard on Queens of the Stone Age for sure. Ah, interesting. Like that was that was like he was he was in his rock thing at that point. And to me, I'm like, you took fucking Slayer and made Channel Zero. Can we talk right. about that? Right, of course, and, and you know, and they were aware of that stuff. I mean, they were aware of Bad Brains, but like you know, they that was more like a Beastie Boys thing, like because that yeah. was like they actually played shows with them, you know. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, but but you know, it's like that's what's not happening with hip hop right now is beats, fucking creative soundscapes, like something different, like where it's yeah. as important as the lyrics or the hook or whatever. It used to be like the full package and public enemy were the kings of that you know i I will say static selecta anything he touches is very much reminiscent of dj premier uh right so very much from that lineage so he's definitely somebody but i'm talking about like groups who got real big you know um like now the biggest records which are ultimately songs you know there's not a lot of groups or even artists that i give a shit about that have come out in the last i don't know how many years but like it's just lacking in the beats, you know, like the tracks are just nothing. Like they're just Casio shit. Like, I feel like I could do it. 
<laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. And there's certain people like because uh, I know once again, to go back to Merciless, um, the book, uh, you mentioned 20 bands that are referred to as metal that are not metal. And right. I feel I feel like there's a lot of that in hip hop where it's like yeah, people like, oh, true. Young Thug or Post Malone. I'm like, is he rapping? I'm like, I don't know. Oh, Why is this? It's like it's just like a mainstream excuse to have a name for it. You yeah, know? it's like they're not for it. I'm not hating on them. It's just, they're not like rapping. So like, I can't no, be it's like fucking ridiculous. <laughs> um, you know, so, all right. So there's my first two. Yeah. Third would be a tribe called quest. Oh, Queens. And just the low end theory is, you know, it, it, it goes in and out. It's always in my top three, but you know, it's been number one a bunch of times too. Like where to me, this might be the best overall rap record ever made. Like it yeah. may be. Yo, you're not like you're not. I, I think Joe would agree, too, because I think we, we talked about it, too. Like, it, I don't know what the best hip hop record of all time is. But if you told me it's a low in theory, I can't, okay. I, I can't argue. So okay. far. Yeah. So far, you're on the peninsula. You haven't left the peninsula, right? You got, <laughs> yes. <laughs> I'm, I'm about to, though. <laughs> Let's do I mean, it. The Queens Peninsula. Yeah. Well, yeah. Long Island. Well, I mean, P is Long Island, so it is yeah. the peninsula. Um, but I am going to go to Staten Island. And fourth would be Wu. Yeah. And I, I mean, just the fact that there were that many great MCs in that group. But as you find out in their movie, it's all fucking RZA. Like he's he just guided that whole thing. Like even as far as like whose solo album came out in what order. Yeah. Like he did that. Like, yes, I'm going to we're going to do a great fucking solo album, but it can't come out before this one because that's how we're going to build our thing you know and so you know if you notice like capadonna came out a little later and like you know like you got yeah it all kind of came later but like meth ghost raekwon like those were like like so it's it's always going to like there's always going to be that question and for me it's going to be uh only built for cuban links but what Uh, is what is your favorite solo project then I mean, I love Only Bill for Cuban Links. I love that album. And it's funny because in that thread where we were talking about the Wu-Tang stuff, there were people like, I still don't understand how people love that, you know? And I'm like, are you crazy? It's like incarcerated Scarface. Yeah, it's so good. It's so so good. good. Right. Like guillotine, ice water, oh. um, spot rushers, uh, oh. ice cream, Wu Gambinos. It's uh, like it's just smash after smash smash for me you know yeah. and like if i had to pick one like i'm gonna listen to one of the woo solo albums right now that's the one i'm putting on you know yeah I, I mean they they you know like most things you know people have their their run you know like eventually you know everything changes and riz's mind went to like you know his production style changed a little bit but like for 92 i would say for like a good four to five years like everything he touched was fucking gold. Well, like, Grave Diggers too. It's like Grave Diggers too. Yeah, I mean that two cups of blood. Um, I mean, and shout out to Prince Paul too. If we're gonna, but think about like the woo, the the the, the, the debut album of the group, and then those first four or so. I would say five. Yeah. Yeah, like sure. Jesus Christ! Like that all came out within a handful of years. That's like having six incredible albums in a like row one group yeah like in like 10 minutes you know like they all just sort of showed up it was like voltron right they, they just and then, and then grave diggers is in there somewhere and like 
you know, you're like, what the fuck? And you hear, like, I remember getting the kiss, the kiss single. Um, I don't know if you kids remember that, but uh, yeah, sure. <laughs> nobody beats the whiz. Yeah. Yeah. But like, I just remember, you know, what I loved about like PE and what I loved about straight out of Compton is just like the abrasiveness. Like, so yeah. it, fe- it felt punk rock and that's what protect your neck felt like to me. It was just yeah. like, okay, here it is. Nine MCs are going to beat you over the head and you're like, what the fuck just happened? And, and the tracks are dirty as fuck. Yeah. Like, you know, and that's like that first group album, like, you know, when, when we, when, when I met Carlos, you know, um, and I wanted to work with Bill, I'm like, you know how that shit, cause he would mix super loud. And I was not used to that. I was used to producers that like, no, it, you know, if it sounds really good, if you play it really low, really I mean, low. NS10s. and I'm like, okay, I get it. So NS 10s for me were like, you get, like levels you can figure out what levels if it works like if a vocal's too loud if a guitar is too loud or something like that that you could tell but like you can't tell if a rap record is going to move the fucking room you know it's like i don't care like what gentle x you have or whatever you need like the rare time that you use those gigantic fucking yuri monitors that are in the wall is like this shit yeah and so when carlos was mixing bill's album that's how we mixed it. And we're like, how do you not die? How do like, you not die? Yeah, yeah. I feel like I'm like my equilibrium's off. Like everything is fucked up in here right now, you know? Yeah. And like, I, I can't, you can't listen for more than 30 seconds on those things. And I would walk out of the room sometimes and I'd walk back in and he's still playing it on those things on 11, you know? And I'm like, he goes, here's how you know. <laughs> you know, there, you know, there there's like from that lineage, man, that New York, you know, nonfiction planet, like that lineage really, you know, even Jedi mind tricks, like everything from that, that place in time that was bubbling at SOBs at the time and shit like that. Yep. Uh, I mean, that's a whole nother episode right there. Uh, but th- listen, this is why I have, have you had Bill on. No, I, 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 I've had Gore on like five times. He's like, oh, no, you gotta get Bill on. Um, Bill's about to drop an album. It's perfect timing. I, you know, if Bill would do it, I would talk to him. I just Bill would, Bill would I, definitely do it. I don't really know him personally. I, I, will, I will make that work for you somehow. Look at that. Look at that. Yeah, let's you know, let's, he, let's. He would be great. Like, and you, you're a fan, and then all of the uh, the branches of the Bill tree with metal yeah. and like all that shit. Like, you'd be a great interview with him. I, I was man. I'm telling you, like, I fucking pulled Gore out of like a whole like. I saw him at a mayhem show and I don't even like black metal, but they were playing Amityville and we just went Mm -hmm. and I started talking to, 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 you know, Mitch, obviously we can call him Lord goat now. Um, And we just kind of like hit it off. And so it's funny because his, his, his son just played a show in in my town and I was supposed to hang out with him and we just couldn't link up yesterday, but he, we have great episodes because like we, we did a, a full deep dive on Iron Maiden we did uh-huh. a, we did a Slayer episode with Ron Grimaldi. He was in there too. So oh, we, we we just we, you know it's like it's like what we just did for like two hours. We we go down right. the rabbit hole. So and could you for two more? Listen, I because I'm telling you, I had six pages worth of notes, and I'm sure um, uh, Joe did too. So let's let's just you know let's let's talk again sometime soon. And uh, yo, Howie, thank you for hanging out. Yeah, I'm glad we finally got to the uh, get to do it. And yeah. Uh, yeah, this talking about it for a minute and you know and it's fun like i could still i could just 
it's not even like a podcast or this or that for me. I'm just talking fucking music and I could do that forever. Well, that's the three of us. The three of us are like, that's what I loved about Joe. Like when I met him, it was just like, we, I mean, we, what did we do an episode on? Like fucking like Top 10 hip hop love songs and power ballads in the 90s. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> that's what it was. We were yes. talking, we were talking power ballads. It was so good. Well, that's like you, you were asking about my relationship with Bill. Yeah. When we did Merciless, we were just doing that for two yeah. hours. We yeah. were just we we play the music. So like we, we were asked to do uh, a gimme metal show, you know, and you can't listen to the music while you do the show. You do all the talking and, oh, it's okay. and I was yeah. like, you have to listen to the music. Like, you have to because it sparks all the shit. Yeah. And then we that's what we talk about. We we're like, you remember the you know, like yes, from sitting in the room blasting the songs between our talking. And, you know, it was basically just like the college radio show we never had. And, you know, we'll probably do some episodes again at some point. I but loved like, it. I but that's it. what it was like. Yeah. It was it was an op Bill said it, I think, on the air it goes. I just want to talk with you about music for two hours. Yeah. So that's why I do the show. <laughs> well, because I know like he's not like um, I, I know that he, like when it comes to talking about himself, it's not really like fun for him. No. Um, it's more of like, you know, he's like, I'll talk about music all day about what I'd rather dissect hair metal and death metal, you know? Yeah, 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 yeah. So he'd like rather do that. Cause like I'd get like we'd pick 10 songs each for the show, yeah. and he'd come in and I'd be like, Fucking, you really want to play like warrant? You know, like yes, and he's like, Yo. But I love this song, you know, like and that's I'm he goes, I hate them. He goes, but I love this song. You Jamie know? Lane was a great songwriter. I don't care. And it's funny, like, cause you 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 signed uh Doggy Dog and then they had right. to flip to Warrant. But I thought I thought I thought that record was great. And we also had Stu Bang is on, who's uh -huh. fucking I love Stu because I feel like Stu, like I mean Cannibal Hulk. I mean, come on, like just just his style, like those guys just work so well together. Yeah. Uh, um, but yeah, listen, I, I can keep going, but I, I gotta attend to to, to be some, continued some shit here yeah, yeah i got but seriously like oh, I, we I have families and jobs right 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 i don't think i looked at my notes too much but like there's a bunch of shit on there that i still gotta ask you so like well, we'll do a part two and yo thanks for hanging out with me joe and fucking my pleasure me. joe is a good little extra surprise that was yeah nice. it was cool man he, i just got the notification this morning i'm like be sure i'll you know I'll, we were talking I'll chop it up we were, yeah, talking. we were trying to get a time set no, me and Joe were talking because I was like, I forgot what what we we you, uh, no you you sent me a Casey Kasem thing. Oh yeah, I because I, uh, I posted about Queen, yeah, George Michael and Queen today, just like you do. With oh your, yeah, yeah. And so I'm like, tell your friend who called me Casey Kasem. I was all in my bag today, and then we got to talking about how we was having you on today, and um, Langan has COVID. Get well, Langan. Yeah. Um, and he's like, I could could you be an Artie Lang host if you're free? I'm like, sure, why not? You know, and yeah. I. Like like Sam said, I know we run in similar circles, you and me especially, because Queens and the All the scenes it. and everything. So we know a lot of the same people. Um, but we didn't even get to the metal or the you know really much of that stuff. Yeah, we no, could. That's we, why I reminded about the big four things. I was like, you, you told me we're you going to, talk. to. Yeah, we're 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 going to. But like actually, um, yeah, next time it'll be like the top ten songs of the big four because I, I I wanted to see your list. That's what yeah, it was. Yeah, yeah. So by the way, I saw your thing about the bear. And yeah. it's awesome. I, I'm one in and I, the Supreme team. I just finished all three. I episodes. finished it. I, yeah. yeah. But uh, uh, the bear is really good. It's yeah. like 
it's it's uh, you know I don't even know what it's about in a way. It's sort of like <laughs> it's about food. It's about the family. It's about yeah. the restaurant. My, my wife is watching that. I love the direction. I love the frantic pace of it. It reminds me. Oh, of it, the, it gets better that way. So it reminds me of um um the the fucking brothers that did Uncut Gem. Oh yeah yeah yeah. Like Uncut Gems and and Good Times. Like those two guys like just fucking kill it all. It's on really the- really good. Like you know any anytime I see people talking about it, I'm like. Yeah, it's I don't know what kind of show it is. Like it's listed as a comedy. No, it's doesn't like, feel like yeah. Not really a comedy, but it's and, like know, real life. Yeah. And it's it's and you know, in the same way like Anthony Bourdain's Kitchen Confidential like lifts the fucking curtain on restaurant life and you know that kind of stuff, the food industry. This as you watch it, you'll realize this really does too. And really it changes like. the relationship between, you know, the guy who owns the place and all the staff and they've been there forever and they don't want change. And then there's the crazy brother. And yeah. you know, it's like it, there's so much shit going on, but it never loses you. And um by the end of the eighth episode, you understand all of what was happening. And most importantly, uh, refused new noise is used through the first episode. And uh-huh. Wilco, yes. and Wilco the song Wilco, Wilco via Chicago. I was like, yep. what the fuck? I'm like, it's so yep. cool. There's more than one Wilco in the, in the series. I'm a huge Wilco fan. So that's cool. Yeah, there's a few uh, few good things on the soundtrack. I looked that up afterward, too. Uh, all right. Yo, for well, sure. One the, more thing. I want to yes. bring it full circle because I regret, <laughs> to, I regret to tell Howie that the Braves won in 12. Uh, I saw that happening when, <laughs> and I didn't think, I didn't think it was going to take 12. I saw it was three, three. They'd been losing. Yeah. It was the, the bottom of the 10th. I'm like, fuck. So the next yeah. four in the top, I was like, they're just losing it. Braves are at home. Right. So, yeah. So whatever. And, and did you know that Ghostface killer was at city field yesterday? Did you see that? Yes. I saw the photo. <laughs> That's awesome. It's a photo. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, I know him. I know method man was a Mets fan. Yes. I didn't know Ghost was, though, so that's kind of... Who was Ghost in the photo with? It was... Tim Tuffle. <laughs> it wasn't... Tim Tuffle was there, but... Uh, was he really? He was, yeah. We really? have to talk. Like, I went to Mets Fantasy Camp five times, by oh, the way. snap. Tim Tuffle was one of my managers. Wow. With Jerry Grody. Yo, did this, you, what a did flex. You shake, did you shake your butt like he used to do when you went up to the bat? Tuffle Shuffle? Yeah. <laughs> um, no, but I discussed the Tuffle Shuffle with him. Look at this. See, look at look look at us. Right. All right. Well, Go on. you have to do another sport, a sports podcast. Too. There you go. In, in closing, I just want to shout out Ron Hassey. And uh, I guess on that note, we could wrap it up. Ron Hassey, the catcher. Yeah. 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 <laughs> I'm going, I'm bringing it back to the Yankees. Sorry. Yeah. So guys, uh, I'm going to, I'm going to put this out tomorrow as soon as I piece it together. And uh, that's it. So we'll talk later. All right. Thanks again. All right. See you guys. Bye.